We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And last night, we had a couple of game sixes that ended up uh, quite differently. In the early game, Miami became the first team to punch their ticket into the conference finals with a, a win over the Philadelphia 76ers. And then in the nightcap, uh, Dallas really took it to the Phoenix Suns and forced our first game seven of the 2022 playoffs. Didn't have one in the first round. So really excited. Luca versus Booker in the Suns in a, a game seven. But let's start with the early game. This was a series that when Embiid came back, it was kind of like, oh, is this is this going to be a series? Uh, you know, Philly won two at home before Miami, you know, won pretty comfortably, won in a blowout in game five. And then in game six, in the spirit of our coverage of these playoffs kind of being this big like evaluation of different player attributes and like what matters in the playoffs and what doesn't, there was something I saw in that that game that I hadn't thought of earlier. And I think you're a great person to speak on this. And that's the value of endurance and the harm of fatigue. Miami, a big they always brag about their heat culture. And one of the things that they're very proud of is how in shape they are. That they pride themselves on being the team that's in the best shape in the NBA and they can run and run and run and go all day. And I look across from them at the Philadelphia 76ers, and Joel Embiid, I thought, played very hard throughout this series, but he was, man, he was hurting. He was sucking wind in the second quarter. He was falling on the ground a ton. And this isn't the first time he's kind of like physically fallen apart during the playoffs. And then James Harden isn't exactly known for being the in peak shape amongst NBA players. Now, I think well beyond this is, uh, I, I think there's certainly more to the equation than this, but I'd love to talk to you about that idea of fatigue and endurance. You were a D1 soccer player. You're a college athlete, and that's the sport I think of most when it comes to endurance and fatigue and how you push through when your lungs are burning, because that's something that's a real thing in sports that is very hard for us sitting on our couches to evaluate or understand, because it's a very internal thing. But if you've ever played sports, you've been in that moment where you're like, oh man, this is, you know, you, you feel, you don't play the same way 
when your body starts to break down like that. So take that in whatever direction you want to go, Mike. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, first of all, I was I was amongst the lower level uh, D1 soccer players. We could say that. So I wasn't any kind of star um, at that level. But the one thing that the, the difference that you notice between even like I guess level to level. So even high school and club soccer um, up to that point in college soccer, the fitness is the biggest thing. And so once I once I knew I was going to be playing um, and Northwestern, the coach sent what was essentially like a summer workout guide or and or like this is what's going to be expected, you know, in terms of what your fitness level needs to be at. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a ton of work right in the off season. And so the the games themselves, this is one thing about sports that's, that's great, right? Like if you play a lot, there's a certain level of of fitness that you can maintain uh, by just playing. And you know that even today, like if you're just going out and you're and you're playing pickup hoops with your friends. But to really be able to get through a game, like to get through a 90 minute game, you got to go so much beyond that with with your training. And so for soccer, it's it's a whole series of of sprints and 400s and 800s and then um, and then 10 mile runs and like to build up the long term wind in the short term. So it's all of this stuff combined. And where you see this play out on the next level, uh, whether that's in this country, if it's MLS or certainly professionally abroad, uh, they're the age, the average age is much younger in soccer than it is in basketball. That makes sense. Yeah. The reason for that is all the running. And you, so you've got all of these, even some of the best teams in the world are introducing a random 17 or 18 year old often. And you're like, wait, how is this, how is this kid possibly being able to play? And in Manchester United's case, which is, we've had an an awful year, but one of my favorite uh, or my favorite probably of, of any sport. And they introduced this young Swede who's 20 years old named Anthony Alenga. And all of a sudden he's just playing every game with like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo still out in the field is the one exception. He's like LeBron. He's 37. And why is he on the field? Well, because he just literally runs the entire game, the entire field. He's sprinting back to the box. Then he's sprinting all the way forward into an attack. And he's good enough on the ball to make a difference. But the level of fitness is what separates guys. And I thought that same thing watching Heat Sixers and the disappointing thing, I think, if you're a Sixers fan, probably, or or just somebody that's watching the NBA and expects a, a baseline level, is that this has happened before. It's happened yeah. before, repeatedly with Harden wearing down, whether it's mentally, physically, some combination of both. And Embiid, where I have a bit more sympathy for, um, just due to the size uh, and the nature of somebody that size staying in shape and being able to go that long. But I don't know. I mean, Shaq did it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and even Shaq notoriously was not necessarily Kobe in the offseason. And that was a big that was a very center piece of their story together. Right. And the frustration that that brought Kobe. Mm-hmm. And and so there, there's a part of me there. But I also think Embiid deserves some critique for that. But especially mm-hmm. Harden. And then when those guys aren't able to bring it to that level, especially in the game six at home, you know, how are the rest of the guys on the roster supposed to pick up for it? You know, Tyrese Maxey tried. But, yeah, he's fantastic. You know, yeah, and he's got, and guess what he can do? He can run all day. Yep. Don't get tired, you know, That's 42 right. minutes, you know, it's fine. But the rest of the guys that can run all day don't have enough talent to compete at that level um, to a Miami team. And, and not just that they're super in shape, but Jimmy Butler played 43 minutes. He didn't look like he was really wearing down in that fourth quarter. Bam Adebayo didn't look like he was wearing down. P.J. Tucker, who was older than um, than everybody, looked pretty good. And is that to me, do, does Miami get credit for that? I, I mean, maybe to me, that's just more of who those guys are, though. And that's who sure. Butler and Tucker, that's it's a personal thing. Like they can tell you, Pete, to do your offseason training program. 
And yes. guess what? Yes. Half the team, half the team did it coming into camp at, at, uh, at Northwestern, and half the team didn't. You know? What did the results? What did the results look like? So when you come into camp, right, you're starting your season. You you get your off season game, uh, you know, fitness plans from your coaches. This is something I fondly remember. I loved doing off season workouts as a coach because that's really where a lot of the progress is made. Where guys can kind of separate themselves from their teammates. And one of the things I always thought of was there's no real way to cut corners. Like you cannot show up to that voluntary six a.m. workout. You can. Uh, you do that enough, though, and there's no way to get it back. You know what I mean? And this is one of the yeah. the reasons why, like, LeBron, his his attention to detail in that 365-day-a-year, I'm going to work on this every day. Like, James Harden does not look like the same player he was when he was younger. No. He's 32 years old, Mike. He shouldn't be looking like this, like a de- physical decline to that degree. And I, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on on that, right? Like that idea of you can't skip too much time. You have to be on it. Be- and it shows up in a way that you can never get it back. If you don't put that time in on the front end, you don't get it back in game six of, of the playoffs. Well, there are a lot of factors here. But one of them, the first thing is that some people are naturally gifted more than others. And LeBron is naturally sure. gifted more than others. And including James Harden, his so his body, the way that it sort of just the hip bone connects right to the thought, like all of that (laughs) stuff with LeBron is as good as it gets. But then he nurtures that. And yeah, and then he still gets he's gotten hurt though these last couple of years just because of the you cannot also deny the total mileage and what that does to somebody. But to bring it back to the to the analogy we started with, just with me personally. So going into that the first training camp, my freshman year, there is a a senior and he had had some injuries in the past. And clearly that impacted his ability to train in the off season. So he was super skilled, but just was not in shape. And and that's, this is where now, if you want to give Harden some benefit of the doubt, you could say, okay, well, maybe there's something interrupting his training. Maybe there's something with his body. I don't know that for a hundred percent fact, but so, and yet the skill level is still there. Then there's another freshman that came in not really skilled, but was basically a marathon runner. Like he could run all day, never got tired. And that in its own right has its value. So which of those players is better on the field? Well, one really good on the ball, but is going to tire out and can't make runs and is going to get blown by defensively and, you know, be a problem. Then there's the other one who can run all over the place, but you give him the ball in a big moment, he can't do anything with it. Right. And I, and so what's the prime, right? You think about this in NBA terms. It's somebody that is that has that at least that baseline level of fitness and then has enough skill to do something with it. And and that's the part where once you get down to as you talk about this often, Pete, once you get down to this level of the playoffs, there's no hiding anymore. Like if you're on yeah. the court and you can't do certain things with because of either skill or athleticism, fitness, whatever that combination is, um, then you're in trouble. And that's maybe that's part of the 16 game player thing versus getting through an 82 game season. And you need the guys that can that can hack it. And um, the only the only thing I would add to it is that the like in my case, I was never going to be the one that didn't do the work coming in. But I eventually pushed myself so hard and without listening to myself that I hurt my back and I, I needed a spinal fusion surgery because I cracked yep. the vertebrae because I kept pounding on the back that got hurt. And at the time, you know, the, the soccer team doesn't have the training staff or the football team. They're like, uh Ice, you know, ice uh, bath after practice, <laughs> stim before practice, probably like what you did in high school, right? And tape yeah. the ankle, you know, yeah. 
you're not looking at like why wait, hold on why is your butt sticking out like 90 degrees instead of being level you know parallel like why are your hips not <laughs> turned out you know why are you doing as much bench press and squat as possible weight wise as opposed to you know the weights that are so all of those little things where i think now sports science has come along to help players especially yeah. at the nba level um so at least hopefully that stuff's not going on but then that can't prevent an ACL tear and the subsequent recovery from it. And, and maybe that interrupts how much fitness you can do. And so I just, I think it's always important when we're critiquing some of these guys that and even in Embiid's case, some of these injuries can impact what you're able to do uh, rehabilitation and energy wise. Very much so. This is a fascinating conversation because I don't think this side of basketball really gets explored too much. So let's take a break. Let's continue this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, one of the things about Miami, one of their Achilles heels throughout the years, and this really goes back to Pat Riley teams, is that they often have a hard time making it physically to the finish line, right? You said earlier that they it's the type of guys that they have. It's kind of a chicken or the egg thing in that they pursue guys that are like that, right? Like that's part of Miami's philosophy is we're going to get some hard-ass guys that are going to play hard, that really dedicate themselves to being in shape, that you don't have to give them a plan over the course of the offseason. I mean, you do, but you don't have any worry like, oh, are they going to like, no, no, no. That's who they are. That's what they do. But on too far on the other end of the scale is what you were saying, Mike, like you're an ultra, like I consider you as that type of person, right? But you found yourself pushing yourself past the point of listening to your body and you physically broke down as a result of that. That describes a lot of Miami seasons and a lot of Pat Riley teams Famously going back to the 1989 playoffs where we had a big break between the Western Conference finals and the, and the finals. This was our attempt to three-peat against the Detroit Pistons who had beaten the two seasons before. And in that time in between, like Riley has them run. It's really important to Riley to everybody stay in tip-top physical shape. Well, guess whose hamstrings start popping in, in that finals, right? And so it's Magic and Byron and we get swept. One of the things that I think that I like about Miami is I think that they addressed this a bit in that they have great depth. They have a lot of guys who can go and go and go. So if a guy like Kyle Lowry goes down, that sure seemed a lot less important these last couple of games than it did when he was playing and when he was not contributing to the level that he could. So that's something that I try to tie this back to the Lakers now. We've got a superstar, but who's going into year 20? Our other superstar is somebody who physically has had 
problems getting through the last two seasons, a lot of injuries. What's the value of that kind of guy and that concept in terms of how we build this team going forward? It's one of the reasons I really like Stanley Johnson. One of the reasons Malik Monk was effective is they go and go and go and go. But you also have can a Stanley Johnson and a Malik Monk be in game six of the second round of the playoffs? I have questions about that. So it's an interesting discussion. Like, where, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, as we're as we're having all this discussion, right, about fitness level and, and health level, and it's hard not to think about not just LeBron, but Anthony Davis. And I yeah. just did a piece the other day uh, on Lakers.com, which I, I have forgot to tweet out, by the way. I should probably do that. But it was looking at LeBron's 19th season and comparing it to other players that had 19th seasons. And then in, in so doing, I looked up 20th seasons. And Pete, do you know, top of your head, how many players even played a 20th season in the NBA? Ooh, I'd say less than 10. Okay, so... I'm going to give you credit for the exact for being exactly correct because it's nine uh, and LeBron will be the 10th. And so now if we I'm sure that people if you if you want to play at home, pause this and just think in your in your head how many of these guys you can get. Um, I'll I'll spare Pete the actual pop quiz here. And so it's and (laughs) let's see. We got. okay. you want to do it? Okay. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. uh, Kevin. Okay, Kevin Willis. Correct. Yep. Uh, Did Havlicek play 20 years? No. Okay, uh, Kareem. Yes. Um. Oh boy, this this is harder than I thought it was. Uh, Malone. Carl Malone. Uh, Carl Malone. No, I think he was uh, he was nineteen. There's a there's another Malone though. Uh, Moses. Correct, Moses. Yeah, Moses. Oh, that's right. And then Kobe, of course. Of course, Kobe. Yep. Uh, um, one is one is German. Okay, so we got Dirk, right? Yep. One is uh my one of my top three favorite players of all time uh and you know this is the pre-boston years <laughs> version oh boy minnesota oh kg of course KG. All, all those guys that came straight from high school yeah. or played one year yeah they they get a couple extra years on uh on on that one uh, uh, one just retired and is now uh doing television uh, high flyer Oh, Vince Carter, of course. Vince Carter, yep. And then yeah. one, uh, one is an old Celtics center. Parrish. Parrish, yep. And the last one is a uh, could just go get the random fifty piece, even while not necessarily playing uh, the best defense. And Jam- is- Jamal Crawford, did he play? Jamal 20? Crawford, yep. no kidding. Yep. yep. Now See, he only I- played. He only played six minutes. Per- oh, actually, okay, this almost doesn't count. He played one game and for six minutes. So <laughs> to get that so twenty season in there? on the list. So I guess I should. Pro- yeah, and yeah, like Kevin Willis barely played. Right, he played. He played like uh-huh. twelve minutes a game for twenty nine minutes. The rest of the guys on the list all played. Um, so Crawford, yeah, Crawford probably we should probably put that little qualifier in there. Like sure. you have to play more than six minutes. Uh, I think. But yeah. I- I think Willis was probably the oldest there too. I think he was like forty three or forty four when he retired. Yeah, he was uh, he was forty two. So and so was Parrish. Yeah, those they were okay. both forty two. Yeah, Parrish. That's right. Yeah, and so the reason the reason we bring this up is LeBron. Now nobody on this list right was very productive, other than right. 
So like so Kobe was productive in terms of he played 28 minutes a game um, and he scored, let's see, 17.6 points, but he only shot 36 percent. Remember that year? Um, And yeah. And so like it wasn't like he wasn't necessarily impacting winning, I guess, in the way that we expect LeBron still can next year. Neither was neither was Kareem. Right. Uh, Neither in terms of, let's see, win shares. Dirk actually had the highest win shares um, that season and Dirk played 25 minutes a game. Uh, He, you know, 46 percent. From the field, still 40% from three. So he was kind of effective in as that spacer. He get the occasional rebound, but you know. Yeah. But, There's so but, much distance between effective and oh, we expect you to be the number one option on right. a championship contending team. And so, so we're truly in uncharted territory. Yeah, and that's the point, right? So that's the point for LeBron. But he also, LeBron, I think, physically has advantages over all of those guys that they had at that at, at that juncture of their careers. For sure. Um, one is that he's gonna be younger. Than anybody except for, let's see. Yeah, so I mean, so KG and yeah, Moses Malone were both 38 that year. And then Kobe was 37, right? So he's mm-hmm. he's right in that ballpark. But he also, and so Kobe, I think, took care of his body. But Kobe had some some more difficult injuries. And he yeah, certainly had Achilles, the ruptured Achilles. Yeah, right? that was it, that was it after that. So, yeah. so LeBron is, he is the exception in that he's A, he's younger than most of those guys. B, he's had advanced training and um, he's he's committed himself fully for years. Like for, and he's never had, knock on wood, a major, major injury, like a surgery requiring type of uh, type of injury. So he's, he's better positioned, I think, to do it, but still unprecedented. And, and that's with, before we even get to AD. So like, what, how do you think that we should be conceiving of LeBron's 20th season uh, in the context of all this stuff we're talking about. I would love for LeBron to have the luxury to be Jimmy Butler this year, right? Like Jimmy has some of that playoff Rondo in him in that if you watched him during the regular season, there were a lot of games where it's like, oh, he does not look good. And I, he's a guy though, Mike, that he played for Tom Thibodeau and he was a 40 minute player in a very taxing type of style. And I think that as he's gotten older, he's transitioned into kind of a rare 16 game superstar, which there aren't a lot of, there are 16 game players. We talk about your Andre Iguodala's and older guys like that, that once the playoffs come around, Derek Fisher was like this later in his career where they could bring it, they could compete at that level, but Throughout 82, you'd be kind of scratching your heads on like, this guy's in helping a ton. Robert Ory was another guy like this. Um, And so the ability to get LeBron to be able to be a 16-game superstar is exactly what what I think we should be shooting for. Now, that I think Anthony Davis being healthy, though, is a requirement for that to happen. I think that in order for LeBron to be able to do it, which isn't to say that he wouldn't be a great player during the regular season. And he's also not someone, when you listen to him talk about his mentality, that like tones it down. But he also has kind of a first gear, second gear, third gear type of, and I'd love for him to be able to drag out those first and second gears a little longer throughout the season. But to get there, we need AD to be healthy first and foremost. And then beyond that, on the rest of the team, I think that those young legs, that's why I was so excited about Stanley and Austin and Wenyon and those guys that can just run and run and run. I think that's really necessary just to get us through the season um, to get to help LeBron become a 16 game superstar, which is something that I think should be a goal of ours. And that kind of gets me back to that soccer model, right, of the English Premier League teams where you've got some of the wily vets and just the skilled players. But then in around them, you got a bunch of younger guys doing a lot of the dirty work and and just 
sprinting and tackling and winning head balls. And, and now this is again, this isn't an exact model for every team, but I do think that that's the type of the type of idea maybe that you even had with Westbrook that, again, I, I think was flawed in the way that they thought about who Westbrook is as a player. Because that those aren't the things that he really does. But the idea, I think, at the time was, oh, Russ can come in and do this certain level of usage and take that off of LeBron's plate, you know, and he can come back and do that. But I, I think that that end up missing the point. But the uh, the concept of it to get to your point about getting LeBron to the finish line, or at least you know, ten yards ahead of the finish line in a hundred yard dash, so that he can carry it home, is very important for next season. Let's take a break and come back and keep on this idea of uh, of how to build. So you were talking earlier about that uh, senior who was not able to put in all that time, uh, but was very skilled. He was the guy you can give the ball to in a basketball analogy in the last couple minutes of a game, yeah. um, but needed some help kind of getting through the season and versus the the freshman who will run all day. That's something one of the reasons I like I like Dallas, for example, is that they have Luca and then a bunch of guys like the second category. And I think that both are important. It's like, do you want one wing on your plane or two? I think both really cer- certainly matter. With respect to this Lakers roster, whether it's with Russ or not, I think that one of the lessons of last year is the value of guys like that around the star that can carry you home. Like we had a lot of, we didn't have a lot of guys, especially earlier in the season with the older players. You're, Mellows and your Rizas and your DeAndre Jordans and Dwight and uh, even guys like Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington is not in the league because he runs around, right? And and just makes hustle plays. And all of those other guys are older. And so you need someone to do that. And this, I think, was a big part of your argument throughout the season, Mike, is that you're now asking LeBron James and Anthony Davis to be these high-level defensive players Every game for 82, because the guys around them don't do that with that level of speed and athleticism. And so what's the balance for us? You're, I know you're big on the, the physical 3 and D type of wings, but I think all of this starts to come together between those skill sets, but also the ability to go and go and go. So to also bring in the you just mentioned the Dallas squad and kind of the build around that. And I'm thinking, too, of Phoenix and well, Chris Paul mm-hmm. needed Devin mm-hmm. Booker. Right to step up to a certain degree to help get him through the regular season, where Chris didn't have to exert that same that level, that peak level every night, and it worked great. And as long as they're out there together, I still think they're in pretty good shape for Game Seven. Uh, Although Dallas certainly has a fighting chance, you know, thanks in part to Mm Luca, but that's that model has worked really well, and it also worked really well for LeBron when Anthony Davis stayed healthy, because LeBron could still orchestrate and still close and really still play point guard, but. AD is such a problem to handle on both ends of the court during that season that it just it just by nature means that LeBron's role can be a little bit more crystallized and he doesn't have to step up and play center for X amount of games because the team can't possibly score if they're playing Dwight Howard alongside Russell Westbrook. And so it was it was always going to fail if LeBron and AD both weren't healthy. Okay, so well, that doesn't really tell you. All you need to know about the roster build, though, and the roster construction. And yes, I almost always will default to the bigger three and D wing who's more D and athletic and can go all around the court. But that's specifically because of what LeBron and AD are Uh, and and because of like because of what they do. I think that those spots are even that much more important because 
so LeBron and AD are these massive humans who are who have all of the type of the talent uh, to in a playoff series when everything goes wrong and whether they can get their own shot or they can impact you on the defensive end. But they're also skilled enough that I'm I've just always been much less. I think it's it's harder to find a skill guy to come in that you can actually put in the type of situations that you need than it is to just fo- count on LeBron and AD doing those things. Like the real skill things that you need to in a in a bloodbath series like um, Milwaukee and Boston to bring that one into this one. I, I, I just there aren't a lot of skill guys that can really hang onto the floor. That's right on the floor. And so mm-hmm. that's ultimately why my my whole vision of rosters is kind of like fast forwarded to observing these high level playoff games in person. And I'm just if I see a guy and, and I don't I don't want to call out a, an individual guy too much because. Well, all right, let's just say there's a player type who's just known as a shooter, right? And that's it in the NBA. Mm-hmm. That That's great, but he just can't can't be on the floor. Guess who's doing yep. it right now in Miami? Duncan Robinson. One of the yep. best, has the, has the furthest, uh, not only is he a good three-point shooter, but he can space out 10 feet beyond the three-point line. Like, okay, great. But guess who's on the floor? Max Strews, because Max yeah. Strews can body up yes. defensively. And right. hit the three enough. Is he as and good of a three-point rebound, shooter? rebound, and he's physical, yeah. and he, yep, yep. So so that's that's all I'm, I've been saying, right, is that we fall in love with these, with like a shooting specialist, even in the case of like a Buddy Heald. Well, I'd rather have Max Struess on the court yep. than Buddy. Now, that's not to say that Buddy Heald doesn't help you get through, and he might win you some regular season games, but he also might lose you some because he's going to be taking 13 threes as opposed to the five that are wide open. And, and that's, that's all. And so I'm... Whether it's this specific Laker roster and with LeBron and AD, or whether I'm Miami or any other team, like Phoenix has guys like Jay Crowder and Bridges that can shoot, and Cam Johnson that can shoot threes. But guess what? You don't have to worry about them defensively. And in fact, they mm-hmm. might help you defensively. So that's that's the kind of guy I like. Well, and Phoenix is interesting because they they're one of the only teams left in the NBA that doesn't have really a small ball build. Every version of their lineup is either DeAndre Ayton or Biombo took JaVale's spot as the backup, but they were playing all three earlier in the series and they don't really have a small ball type of look, which also corresponds with they have straightforward guards. You've got small guards like Campaign and Landry Shamit. Shamit has taken Payne's spot as the backup uh, point guard in that series. And then obviously Chris Paul. That That is kind of their weak spot though, right? Like that backup point guard spot. Campaign, for whatever reason, killed the Lakers last year in that series but hasn't been able to do anything and Shamit is struggling some as well so that that's the one spot where they've kind of been searching so that's something in the context of this conversation watching Phoenix in these playoffs has been super interesting to me because they we're talking about this whole idea of can you go and go and go and go and that has a shelf life teams I always talk about the wave and you want to kind of like once you're at the playoffs you want to be kind of cresting as, as your your energy and your cohesion but the the picture in my mind of Phoenix was of last year's playoffs and just watching them fly around all over the place because they're not big, Mike. They're not. They've got a lot of guys who aren't big. So if you're not big, you have to play fast. You have to play pre- with pre- precision to be good. And that takes a lot of effort. And they played just as long as Milwaukee did last year. They didn't win the chip. And so they still, I think, have that fuel of and desire like we that hunger for it. But. I've seen a team in these first two series 
that has struggled to maintain the level of uh, of of thrust of of oomph, the level of uh, let me say that differently the the level of uh, push yeah. that is necessary, Mike, to for them to be good. Now, if you're a big team, you can kind of dial it down a little bit sometimes and and get away with being big. But if you're small, you gotta go and go and go. Well, I, Pete, I, I think this also represents your concern about Golden State, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're not that big, and man, those guys are old, Mike. Like they and they've. Clay has been through that injury and Draymond is, and like part of what's so special about Steph is that he runs around constantly. So as a shooter, best shooter to ever live, and he's he's relocating. If you turn your head just a little bit, he's going to fly to that open corner. It's like, oh, crap, I lost Steph. And now Steph is open. But think about that. Like how many miles has Steph run around a basketball court? Can he do that at 35? I don't know, man. Yeah. It's one of my questions about them for sure. Well, and, it, and this was this is why I so if you take out the fact so if I, if Boston weren't wearing green, right, I would like that team. The, just sure. to build the players, the build of the player, the the athletes, like the size, the go go go, the hunger, physicality, physicality, yeah. all that stuff. And and they just happen to run into a, a superhero uh, in in Giannis, who's just like the one guy that is immune to that level of physicality. And in that series, that series isn't over yet. But like those, that's why those two teams. Um, to me, are still very much up for the title, but Milwaukee. The concern there, and this it's just funny. This theme goes to every team, right? You can use the same this this theme for any team in basketball history. They, uh, I, I still think they needed or need one more piece to get them over the top. Um, it's just that maybe this is the year that it's enough with just Giannis and some of these because they're. There isn't another team that is so that is so great, and, and once they get past Boston, but I don't know, man. I also worry about them against Miami in in the context of depth. And does Giannis finally mm-hmm. show some signs of wear in the not in the way that Jokic did, where he just kind of got out of gas because they manipulated him on defense, and the Warriors just kind of picked him apart. But in the sense of how many of these other games can can you go without more more of these types of guys helping you out on the wing and LeBron, like Giannis is where LeBron was years ago, where just not send him into the finals as long as they're close enough. He's almost to that point. He's not, I don't think, as good of a prime prime player as LeBron because of what LeBron's total package skill set is. But I'm super curious to watch how all of this plays out with uh, with that series as well. Yeah, I think Boston uh, and that series in particular is a great example of and they're very close, right? But that ability to go and go and go and that team build that you like, that, that you say, you know, if they weren't wearing the green, that you would really like the, the team. The other thing you need, though, is that senior that you can give the ball to that's going to get you the the big goal at in the last couple minutes of the game, right? And so on when you look at how Boston has lost a couple of these games, like I've said that Milwaukee's up with smoke and mirrors. I don't think I've ever seen a three, two series where the team that has three, I've been like, you've been in control of this series for like, like after game one, but even then, like it's a little too early, but they've kind of made it happen. Smoke and mirrors wise in part because Boston hasn't scored down the stretch. I thought that the way to beat Boston is to be able to switch with size. Cause if you switch against them and you're too small, then Tatum and Brown are just going to punish you as smart and other guys. Right. But if you are strong enough to not get plowed through, you have to force them into certain high-level shots. Now, that's one of the things that Milwaukee misses with Middleton being out, and that they have certainly been hurt by that, especially in the non-Giannis minutes. But 
even though Giannis is not a high level shot maker, he's the highest level put pressure on the rim guy in the NBA to a point where it's like, you're still going to create some sort of advantage. So like maybe Wes Matthews gets an open shot or Pat Connaughton gets an open shot when they would never be able to create that on their own against this type of defense. You know what I mean? So the Boston thing is, is that, so that game alone, the fourth quarter, right? And Darius and I talked about it. Six for six from three were the Bucks yeah. in the fourth quarter. No, no business winning the game. And, nope. and then I'm thinking, well, hold on a sec. So the way Boston's playing, maybe they screwed up and they didn't get the ball in the right place enough. And then I'm like, well, hold on. Jason Tatum took eight of their 16 shots and he got to the free throw line and hit four or five there. And Tatum is the guy, right, that you would want. It wasn't like they Marcus Smart was out there, you know, playing hero ball and ignoring. Now, he Smart missed the one shot, but I, I can see you're, you're chopping at the bit to get in on this one. But like Jalen Brown only took two shots and missed them both. Horford was two for three. So it's like... I, it wasn't totally that Boston just hadn't figured out their hierarchy, which was what was wrong early in the season when Brown was like, mm-hmm. I want to be the man too. I'm an all-star too. No, it's like they they did feature Tatum and that was what got him over the top, but it somehow it still didn't work in that fourth quarter. Well, here's the thing though, Mike, Jalen Brown was cooking in that third quarter. I think yeah, that there is 16. some degree. Yeah, there's some degree when you have two stars, right? Like they are a two-star build behind Tatum and Brown that sometimes the second guy who in a global sense, he's obviously the second guy, but he has 16 points in that third quarter and was cooking and so the fact that he only took two shots in that fourth quarter I think says something of its own well he so part of that though was because because he carried so much in the third quarter he played the whole thing didn't go out which I I think for his usual rest and so they rested him to start the fourth quarter and in in that time that he was on the bench Milwaukee hit three of those six threes and all of a sudden we're back in the game and then right. it was kind of possession by possession, and they did try to go to Bronson. So I'm I'm almost – I guess what I'm trying to do here is is absolve Boston some and say this was less of a collapse other than the offensive rebound and more oh, of yeah. just like Milwaukee just somehow yep. the basketball yep. gods. They hit six threes, and they got the key turnover, and they got the key offensive rebound, and everything went their way. And, and these are all the reasons why I don't think the series is over. Right. And, Certainly not. Yeah. And so you get into and you get into game six and all of a sudden now not only is Boston really mad, um, but like they're they can feel like they they can keep doing the things they were doing. And that's Milwaukee's not going to be able to do that again. So, yeah, I'm 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 uh, my eyes are peaked for this one. One small bit. I mostly agree. But one small bit. Uh, Kevin O'Connor tweeted this out. But in this series. Milwaukee uh, or Boston is scoring just 0.68 points per possession when Milwaukee switches. This is the thing I, I was talking oh, yeah, about yeah, the other yeah. day with, yeah, you've been with on that. yeah, with Bobby Portis and him being important is that Milwaukee can field a lineup of five. One of the big adjustments was Pat Connaughton, right? They they were picking on Grayson Allen a little bit. They can field a five of Drew, Wes Matthews, uh, Giannis, Portis, and who's the fifth guy? Uh, Connaughton, all of whom can recover out onto the perimeter, like in that Phoenix and Dallas series, who was Luca choosing to go up against when Phoenix was switching? It's DeAndre Ayton. And he has decent perimeter mobility, but he didn't have, I can sort of stay with Luca mobility. So the ability to put five guys on the floor that can cover the perimeter and that have that type of one-on-one ability on the perimeter is important. It's one of the reasons the Lakers defense was so great in 2020. And so 
that is the Boston or Milwaukee can go to a five. They have a group of five. They certainly miss Middleton here where they can switch everything with size against Boston. And that's one of their Achilles heels offensively. So I agree with you in that, like, they're going to be more desperate. They certainly did a lot to win. And Milwaukee just played an insane fourth quarter. And it was way more that than some Boston collapse. But Milwaukee has a pitch to go to that yep. they can – I'm super curious how much they do in this final game. So, all right. This was a ton of fun, Mike. Great conversation. I hope everybody has a, a nice weekend. We'll be back to cover everything on Monday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.